know, we all hear the term creating buy-in, but I don't know that you create buy-in as much as you create a way of life. And it becomes a daily event. That's what we tell our guys all the time. Excellence is a daily event. What life is about is attacking every single moment and every opportunity that you're given and making the most of it. And when you fail, because you will, learning from it. Long ago, there were two cavemen out there. One had a stick, one had, one had a rock. All right? Who's going to win that battle? Just, just post it, know it, and then go out and execute it. Fellas, fellas, fellas. Welcome back to the Farm System Podcast, your home for baseball development. We're here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your co-host, Joey Cunha. And I'm Bo Callis. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at the Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we are here to be a bridge from where you are to where you're going. So Joey, I noticed your catchers were using the Lipke Pro at your practice the other day. What other ways do you implement the tool into your daily routines? Yeah, absolutely. So definitely with the catchers, it, it's always, always dependent on guys, you know, what guys are working on and things like that. But uh, the improvements I've seen with our with our catchers is we usually really use it with receiving. Um, it's a big it's a big point that like a lot of guys going out and stabbing for pitches, especially a low pitch, um, things like that. So it keeps their, their wrist more in a locked position and catching the ball is, you know, I like to say catching the ball more with your elbow than catching it with your hand. And then also it, it definitely works on the transition portion as well. Um, again, if you're out stabbing at balls and, you know, it takes longer to bring that ball back to your chest and then turn it out of your glove. And so um, it's definitely helped with the transfers, the receiving. And then, of course, because of those things being, you know, uh, definitely a benefit, you're, you're definitely going to see reduced, you know, lower pop times. And also that obviously leads up to lower ERA because more guys are getting thrown out. So, um, you know, definitely Lipke has been a big part of, a part of that and, you know, making all those other numbers, you can kind of see it, you know, influence throughout the, the entire, all of the stats for the whole team. Fellas, don't forget to use discount code THEFARM18, all caps, for 10% off at LipkePro.com. On this episode, we sit down with Brian Conger, head coach at Tarleton State University. Conger is currently in his 10th season with Tarleton. The Texans have been ranked five out of their last seven seasons climbing as high as 15 in the NCAA baseball news poll. Conger has also made two NCAA national tournament appearances as head coach at Tarleton. And prior to coaching at Tarleton, Coach Conger spent five years as a pitching coach at the University of Utah. In this episode, he dives into how he implements driveline and modus to influence his variable training within his practice plans. Pull up a seat, grab your notepad. Here's Coach Conger. Welcome back to the Farm System Podcast. We're here with Brian Conger, head coach of Tarleton State University. Coach, we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to chat with us here at the Farm System. I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, always love to talk to baseball guys, and, and I think most baseball, most of us that are baseball guys, we can sit around and talk for days and, and talk shop. So really appreciate the opportunity to speak with y'all. Yeah, Coach Conger, the main reason we wanted to have you on is we, you know, we, we know some pretty you know, knowledgeable coaches, and they all were pointing to you saying that how much knowledge you had and how good your program was and uh, your knowledge base on, on pitching. And we haven't had a pitching guy on yet, so we're going to let you set the stage for all of that. And we thought that you could provide some knowledge and ha hand out some, some nuggets to some of our coaches. Well, I'll hand out something. Hopefully they're nuggets. I hope everybody 
can find something they can take from it. And, and uh, you know, I appreciate uh, the kind words from the other folks you talk talk to. And, and uh, you know, it's just a career of trying to learn from others. Uh, I don't think we, we have any original ideas. We're just taking what we learn along the, the journey and, and tweaking it to what it is we can do at our place. So hopefully it can help out. Well, let's get into it, Coach. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your journey to become the head coach at Tarleton State University? Yeah, so I was originally a graduate assistant here. Uh, when I finished my playing career, I uh, came back and had planned on taking a different career path, to be honest with you. And, and my college head coach at the time, uh, Jack Allen, uh, he's a Hall of Famer, I think, at basically every level in college baseball. Uh, he sat me down when I came back in town and he just asked me what I wanted to do with my life. And I said, well, you know, I got my communications degree. I'd like to go into broadcast journalism. And he basically just looked at me and said, well, you're a coach. And I said, well, you know, I appreciate it, coach, but I, I, I know nothing about coaching. Um, I really just want to go, you know, down this path and see where it can take me. And, um, he offered me the graduate assistance job and told me he'd give me a week to think about it, um, laid out some things for me that, that he felt like would would be a benefit for uh, me uh, at that point in my life. And, and long story short there, I went back to his office a week later, took him up on it, and then uh, hit the ground running. And so I was a graduate assistant for him here for two years, working with the pitchers. Uh, we were able to qualify for the, the school's first ever NCAA uh, regional appearance, was able to get my master's degree. And then from there, I took a pitching job at Lamar Community College in uh, Lamar, Colorado, uh, working for Scott Crampton, who is a tremendous, tremendous hitting guy. Uh, if you guys ever get a chance, you might want to talk to him. He, he knows hitting. So I was there for two years. Our first year there, uh, I think we won 47 games. And the second year there, uh, we went 59 and five and made it to Grand Junction. Uh, just a oh. special group of players. Uh, had a future big leaguer on that team by the name of Brandon McCarthy, and then we had uh, several other guys on that team that were drafted. And uh, after that season, uh, basically Coach Crampton, you know, he's old school and tough love, and we're all excited about just finishing up in Grand Junction and everything. And he's like, "All right, time for you to go. You need to go be a head coach." <laughs> And I was, I was like, whoa, wait a minute now. Uh, we just got back in town. And, uh, but in all seriousness, he sat me down and he said, look, it, it's time for you to be a head coach. Uh, there's a job open at a, a junior college in the Jayhawk League. And he goes, I think you should apply. And uh, so I did. I uh, went out for the interview, went through that whole process. They offered me the job. Uh, was there for a year. And, you know, we were able to do some really – neat things there. We qualified for the postseason for the first time in that program's history. And it was really a neat experience. We were in that point in time with the way the uh, Jayhawk playoffs worked, uh, they had the automatic bid. So if you won the conference tournament, you went to Grand Junction and we made it to the championship game. The only problem was we were completely out of pitching. So we were trying to go to Grand Junction mm -hmm. and we were pitching position players uh, in the conference championship game. And the kids competed, man. I tell you what, I don't know if I've ever been more proud of a group of kids. And then the season concluded there. Um, got a phone call to see if I'd be interested in being the pitching coach at the University of Utah. Uh, it was kind of one of those things that you can't turn down uh, for the next step in your career. Uh, went out there and 
and uh, we were just we were loving our lives there, having a great time and getting after it. And was there for five years, and the job here at Tarleton came open, and it was something that my wife and I had talked about over the years. For from the perspective of all of our family is here in Texas, and and you know we had started our family, we had our two kids at the time, and we kind of looked at it and said you know, God always has a plan for you, and the timing is never exactly what it is you think it's going to be. Um, but, that, you know, we feel like this is the opportunity to get our kids back around grandparents. This is an opportunity to, uh, you know, kind of get all the family back in Texas together and let the kids be around grandparents uh, as they finish growing up before they head out for their life's journey. You know, when they offered me the job, I went back home and talked it over with my wife and we just we felt like it was the best thing for our family our our situation and took the job here and, and have been here now I think this is my 10th year and you know it was a tremendous opportunity because I'll tell you this much uh, and I think a lot of the guys out there listening can can relate to this I was a recruiting coordinator at the division one level mm-hmm. and what that basically means is you're never home and mm-hmm. so you, you know you don't see your kids all that often and this was a great opportunity for me to step back and be able to spend more time with my family. Uh, while you, you have your, your responsibilities as a head coach that are obviously uh, all-inclusive, uh, the nice part about it is you, at the end of the day, you are the boss. So if you need to go create a situation where you can go watch your daughter's volleyball match, you can do that. And so that was just an absolute uh, blessing to our family. And so that's how I kind of ended up here. Awesome. So at what point, you know, with what, when you talked about that journey and you go into Utah and, you know, you knowing that you were going to specialize, you went from being a head coach back to being more of a specialty coach. What, what made you that decision? I know that you had mentioned that, you know, it was for your, you know, moving, not only moving along your career, but what made you, was there some humility there of, you know, knowing that that's something that you were really good at or something, you know, what, what made you want to make that decision and go that way? Uh, I think the challenge of being a Division One coach, uh, you know, for a lot of us that didn't play Division One baseball, if you didn't play it, your opportunity to get in it are very, you know, it's very, very slim. It doesn't happen very often. And so, uh, when the opportunity presented itself, it was, uh, I think maybe the internal competitor inside of me that said, "Hey, go do that now. Go take on that challenge and, and go see if your belief system will work." Uh, and I think. For a lot of the coaches out there listening, those of us, like I said, that didn't play at that level, uh, we want to know. You know, if you're competitive, you always want to know, does your belief system work at the highest level? Can your skill set, if you're a player, does my skill set translate at the highest level? And so I think the opportunity to do it was, uh, quite honestly, just the competitive side that said, okay, you know, we we did well at the Division II level doing it this way. We did really well at the junior college level doing it this way. Okay, let's go see if we can do really well at the Division I level doing it this way. And uh, I think that was probably professionally the biggest reason was just the challenge of it, you know, and, and looking at it and uh, just kind of smiling and going, that's a big challenge, man, and I can't wait to tackle that. That's awesome. Really worked out for you, giving you that opportunity to, to be the head coach there at Tarleton after that 2008 season. You know, in your first year, you make the Lone Star Tournament. Haven't really looked back since. Uh, 130-plus in seven of your nine full seasons. Climbed as high as 15th in the college baseball news poll and making the two NCAA regional appearances. 
What kind of allowed you to make that quick turnaround, and what has been the key to that continued success? I think any, any coach you talk to will tell you when you turn things around, it starts with establishing a particular culture and how you want to do things. You know, we all hear the term creating buy-in, but I don't know that you create buy-in as much as you create a way of life. And a way of life is just how you go about things. And if you do, if you have a particular way of life, eventually you'll buy into the, the success that comes with it. And I think it's, it's a lot like raising your kids, you know, your own kids that you have back at home is you have sets of standards, you have um, expectations on the way you're going to do things, and it becomes a daily event. That's what we tell our guys all the time. Excellence is a daily event. Uh, and so we kind of look at it as simply we're, we're an extension of the families that these young men came from. And so our objective is, you know, in reality, we're the last thing they have for four years before they hit the real world. And so what kind of impact can we have with these young men? What kind of life lessons can we teach them? And that was our goal from day one. We knew if we went about things the right way that wins would happen. The goal was to create relationships and to foster a lifestyle, if you will, on and off the field so that when our young men are, are done in their time here, uh, they have the opportunity to go out and attack life. And that's something that we tell our guys all the time. Um, you spend much time around our program and you'll hear us talking about it is um, there is nothing in life that is going to hold you back except yourself. There is no grand scheme to keep, keep you down. What life is about is attacking every single moment and every opportunity that you're given and making the most of it. And when you fail, because you will, learning from it. And, and that was the overriding goal and the overriding theme from day one. And uh, that first year, the biggest challenge, honestly, was to get a group of young men that had never won in their college baseball careers. You know, we had seniors that had never been to the postseason. It wasn't even... Uh, in their minds, honestly, I don't think it was a logical expectation. They had just been beaten down so much that they were used to being the team that everybody goes, okay, cool, Tarleton's coming in this weekend. Let's get our four Ws and move forward to the tougher teams. That was what they had been through. That's all they knew. And so in order to change that mindset, we just worked to establish a, a daily set of core values like everybody else does uh, in a lifestyle. and. and but get them to understand we're going to be demanding, but we're going to love you as hard as we work you. And uh, that first year's group, boy, did they, did they take off and run with that. You know, it took them a little bit of time uh, in season to learn to believe in themselves. But once they did, you know, it was a lot of fun to watch. And then from there, it's just it's been kind of the same message every year, which is uh, in our particular program, at our particular level, as much as every guy that, that walks through the, the front doors wants to go play professional baseball, the odds are that they're not going to. And so what are we going to do with our time together? And, and you know, another, another term we use all the time, and, and you hear this year's team say it a lot when they're talking about different things, but uh, we just refer to it and we say, make everything your Yankees. You know, if you could, you know, I, I would imagine if you two guys could drop the podcast right now, walk out the front door and go play for the Yankees, you'd probably do that, right? Oh, no doubt. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's the mentality we take in our program is um, let's make everything we do our New York Yankees. 
So when we fix the mound, we're going to fix the mound as if we were, we were at Yankee Stadium and we're pitching on it the next day. When we rake the, the infield dirt, we're going to rake the infield dirt as if we were at Yankee Stadium and we're playing on it the next day. Um, when we do anything, we just kind of look at it and go, uh, make it your Yankees. You know, it's funny, we, we played this weekend and we were eating our peanut butter and jellies like a lot of people do in between the doubleheader. And one of the kids was uh, being a little sloppy with his, with his PBJ, I guess. And one of our seniors goes, come on, man, it's, it, make that sandwich your Yankees. And he was saying that to a younger guy. And, uh, you know, just listen to him talk. But something as simple as making your peanut butter and jelly and then leaving the utensils and the peanut butter and the jelly better for the guy that comes behind you, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it may seem like a simple concept, but the senior's message was, you know, we talk about it all the time within our program. Leave it better for the guys that come after you. And his message to the young freshman was simply, hey, it, it even applies to making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I think, you know, that mentality, when, when you have that and, you, and your guys get things like that, I think every coach out there will, will tell you that's when you, you've got a good group and you're going to enjoy coaching them and you're going to enjoy being around them. That's so good, man. So if I if I sat down with uh, any of your players and I asked them what your pitching philosophy was, what do you think they would say? Uh, be aggressive. I mean, we're pretty simple here, um, but I think simplicity is the key to success. And so it's something that we'll we'll talk about to our guys all the time. We make competitions out of as many things as we have the ability to make competitions out of. And it's just be aggressive and trust your stuff. And they understand that it's it's pitching, and there's going to be days you get hit around the park, and we have zero issue with that, uh, especially in our conference. We play in a really good conference. There are good teams in our conference. There are good coaches in our conference, and so it's highly, highly competitive. There are going to be days you don't have it and you get hit around the park, but can you stay aggressive and compete for your team? And they understand if they'll do that, man, they're going to get a big hug when they come out of the game, even if it wasn't their best effort or not their best effort, excuse me, but their best execution, you know, and I think the older guys, obviously they really understand that and, and they're doing this year's groups doing a great job with the younger guys and, the, and just teaching them to be aggressive um, in everything they do. So if it's your, your uh, conditioning, uh, you know, they, they, they take the, the term aggressiveness and they, they've learned to substitute out really just compete. Right. And so, You'll see in our program, I watched it this weekend from afar, Friday night, Friday night starter uh, is doing his plyometric work and stuff on Saturday, and he takes a redshirt freshman with him down to the warning track, and he's being aggressive slash competing with him. So each drill they did was a competition, and they were trying to beat each other. And whether it was, you know, I hit the ground and get off the ground quicker than you on this particular drill, or on my 15-yard sprints, uh, you know, my 15-yard falling sprint, excuse me, uh, you know, I can get out of the gates a little faster than you. Uh, it's just that aggressive competition. And the, the, what we hope to do is just breed that into everything uh, that we do. And so then it translates over uh, onto the mound, hopefully. And, and the, I think the longer guys are in our program, uh, you see that maturation from, you know, when they come in as a freshman to, like, our two seniors that are our one and two right now. Uh, and I know a lot, of, a lot of coaches say that this, and, and we all want to be able to say it, but man, I would go to battle with those two guys every day of the week because I know they're going to compete and I could care less if we win or lose. Honestly, 
I just trust that they're going to compete, and I enjoy watching them compete. And uh, they get after it, and because they're aggressive in their, in their competitive attack mode, uh, as a coach, you can sit back and enjoy it and go, okay, hey, well, you know, there's so many things in coaching that are out of our control, but uh, if your guys will be aggressive, learn to be aggressive and look for aggressiveness and competition in everything they do, then when, when they get on the mound, you know, you just sit back, relax, and enjoy it and go, okay, hey, I trust this guy, I love this guy, and whatever's going to happen is going to happen, but I know he's going to be aggressive in the strike zone. I know he's going to compete. So it uh, makes my job easy at that point. So, Coach, I think you know more than others coaching at, at other levels and being part of staffs. Um, assistant coaches play a big role, really any program's overall success. What do you look for in your search for assistant coaches? Uh, a growth mindset, first, first and foremost, of guys that are willing to not be the same year to year, guys that are willing to reevaluate themselves at the end of each year and go, okay, I need to be better at this, I need to grow in this area, and I'm open to learning. Uh, I think that's a, a big, big plus. And then I think, uh, obviously, loyalty. I, obviously, I think every head coach would say that, but uh, I think for the, the – Young assistant coaches out there, one of the biggest things you can, you need to know going into it is you're not going to always agree with every decision that a head coach makes, and that's all right because we're all different, and you probably shouldn't agree with every decision uh, that a head coach makes. But you learn from it, and while you may not agree, you can still stay loyal to that head coach's message. I think that is vitally, vitally important. And then I think also just you know, the, the ability to show up with good energy every day and do your job. Uh, that, that's another, another thing you'd hear in our program on a daily basis, I think, is just do your job. Whatever your job is, do it to the best of your ability. If that's recruiting, then go out and get after it on the recruiting trail. Be the, be the first one there and the last one to leave. If, uh, if you're the field guy at a program, then do your job and be the best field guy for that program that the program has ever seen. You know, when you're the young guy, the volunteer that's not getting a whole lot of maybe on-the-field coaching action that you want, find whatever it is that the head coach needs you to do and be the best at that that he's ever had. And when you do that, man, you talk about head coaches that will bend over backwards and do anything in the world for you. There's not one of us out there that wouldn't do that for guys like that. And I think if you can, you know, again, go back to that thing, but make it your Yankees. You know, whatever it is make it the best that it's ever been for that particular program. And, boy, you want to talk about putting yourself in a position to be a commodity that other other head coaches want? I think that's a big, big key right there. So, so Brian, I think one thing that you touched on there, and I think that's a great point to make, is, you know, it sounds like such a simple thing when you talk about, like, attitude and, you know, guys showing up and being enthusiastic and things like that. But, you know, obviously there's days, you know, this is one of the greatest games in the world and it could be your passion and um, it could be everything that you love, but there's days, obviously you show up to the field and, you know, especially as a leader where you feel like, man, you know, today, you know, today's a tough day, you know, maybe things going outside of baseball or things going on. Maybe you guys haven't been playing well or whatever. How do you, you know, especially as the, the skip and how do you show up to there when on those days that you're like, man, you're, you're, you're not enthusiastic and you're not, you know, in the right mindset. How do you get yourself mentally in the right spot? being the leader, um, to have that attitude and to have that um, emotions with your players? 
you know, one of the things we, we have, we do here is we have a sign on our coach's door uh, that faces the inside and it just says compared to what. And uh, I put that up a few years ago for days like that. And uh, I know most of your listeners will have no, no concept of maybe my personal family situation, but my wife and I have a special needs child. Um, he's our youngest, and we've gone through an awful lot with him. He's, he's uh, nine years old and wasn't expected to live past the age of six months and was recently diagnosed with a very rare genetic disorder. And so personally, we've dealt with a lot of things, and there's days that we've dealt with things where, I honestly, I'd be – on my way to practice and just go, I don't know if I, you know, I, I need to shake myself. I got to get myself ready for my boys. I got, I got 35 guys that are going to be counting on me here in five minutes. And so I just put up a, a compared to what sign on my door so that anytime, you know, if I'm dealing with something like that or uh, administratively, every head coach out there has been through this where your administration, you know, maybe yanks your chains on some things and you should go, good gosh almighty now that's not what we were expecting and you know you get off thought process a little bit and so it's just there on my door and I'm, I'm just in a habit I look at that and I kind of give myself a check before I go out and I know that um, my deal for me is I don't cross the door right there I don't open that door unless uh, I'm ready to go and give the kids what what it is that I'm supposed to give them and what I owe them and what I owe them is everything I've got on that particular day and so I think when we have those days, you know, I think just something as a reminder for everybody out there that, that is for you personally. And, you know, the other thing that I have that I keep with me at all times is I have a picture of my son like every other coach out there does and every other parent. But I have, I have a picture of my son going in for one of his surgeries. He's had numerous surgeries, and it's just it's a checkpoint for me if if I'm ever, you know, maybe a little frustrated, you know, because we're all humans, or like you said, there's going to be times things get to you and you go, okay, I got to check myself. Uh, but that that's really my go-to. Uh, if, if, if I'm not where I think I ought to be, uh, it's boom right there. I have it in a special place on my phone and I look at it and I go, you know what, if, if this kid can fight through everything he's fought through on a daily basis, if this kid can still be on this planet when every expert that we've taken him to has said, he shouldn't be here uh, when every expert we've taken him to says he won't live past the age of one. Well, he won't live past the age of two. Well, he won't live past the age of three. And I've watched him for nine years now fight for his life on a daily basis. Man, what could be going on so bad in my world? You know, the sun's out, the grass is green. We get to go play baseball. And so I think uh, that checkpoint for me, that picture on my phone and that picture on my door uh, those are those are my go-tos, and so I think everybody out there, you you just need something, a little picture, a little reminder, for when you're not where you need to be. That goes okay. When I look at this, boom! Don't forget, I owe those boys out there on the field, all 35 of them, I owe them everything I got, and whatever I've got for however, however long we're going to be out there is what I'm going to give them. And once I look at that picture, that's my go time. Whatever's going on, it's all done with. I'm going to go give those boys everything I got. I love that, man. Thanks for opening that, uh, open that up for us and, you know, just being vulnerable for us right there. No, I really appreciate that. That was really good. Um, really does put it into perspective for us. So coach, you spent one year as the head coach at cloud community, like you mentioned, 
um, before taking that job at the University of Utah. Was that one year at the helm beneficial before moving up to that level? And what challenges did you did you take transitioning to that Division One level? Yeah, you know what? I think the best part about that was that was actually my first head coaching job at Cloud County. And as an assistant, you know, coming up and, and, and working your way up, uh, I think it's natural for all of us when we're assistants to go, when I'm a head coach, I want to do things this way and I want to do things that way. And maybe sometimes you don't always look at it from a head coaching perspective. And, and how can you if you've never been a head coach, right, uh, in certain aspects? And so it was awesome because I got to test out some of my beliefs as a head coach and go ahead and start making mistakes because, you know, your first head coaching job, you're going you're gonna to learn real quick that uh, everything's not as ideologically sound as it may be in your mind. And you've got to be able to adapt a lot quicker uh, to so many different situations than when you're just a positional coach. Uh, so that was a great experience for me because then when I got to Utah, I was able to have a better uh, reference and understanding when uh, the head coach was talking about certain things. I was able to understand it from different perspectives and be a little bit more open-minded to some things. Because uh, I think sometimes as assistant coaches, we can get really black and white and go, well, if we would just do this, this would be the result. And uh, it sounds great, but very rarely is it just that simple. You know, and so obviously when you're a head coach, there's a lot more personalities to massage and manage. And it gives you just the appreciation for that. So then when you go on to the Division One level, I think it, was, it just it helped me be prepared for all the stuff that comes with uh, the responsibilities that a head coach at the Division One level has. And I think when you can respect different perspectives and the head coach knows that as an assistant, then he's going to lean on you more. And he's going to give you more accountability and responsibility in areas. And I think just being able to relate to the head coach and when he says, you know, he might be a little frustrated with whatever's going on in the program at that point in time. And, and now you have a reference for it and you go, yeah, man, I completely understand that. How about if we look at it from this perspective or this direction or, or from, from over here? And uh, so I, I'm very fortunate and very thankful. I've given thanks a lot for just the opportunity to be a head coach before I got to the division one level, because I think it made me a better assistant coach. That's interesting. Yeah, I think that's a great perspective. Kind of tuning back to, you know, the, the pitching side of things, you know, what, what is it about pitching um, that you love so much? And then on top of that, too, you know, I know, I know some coaches out there just dying for you. You know, we love drills. What are some of your favorite drills or what are some of your, your favorite, you know, if it's mentality or if it's, you know, what are, what are things, your, your favorite things to do with your pitchers, too, on top of that? Okay. As far as uh, what I love about pitching, I think, and this is something we, we tell our guys all the time, and we, and we joke around about it, but if you look at all the sports out there that contain a ball, right, basketball, football, um, lacrosse, what else is there? <laughs> what, whatever, whatever other sport that, that, has a, that has a ball, right? Is, is there really anything in any of those sports where there's a confrontation between two people like a pitcher and a hitter. I mean, we, we scale it back, and we tell guys this all the time. This is, this is something that, that we talk to them about. And, fellas, this goes back to the beginning of mankind. This goes back to caveman stuff, mm -hmm. all right? Because, look, here's the deal. Long ago, there were two cavemen out there. One had a stick, one had, one had a rock, all right? Who's going to win that battle, <laughs> all right? The guy with the rock or the guy with the stick? Well, I can promise you 
if there's a guy with a stick and a guy and I'm a guy with the rock, I'm going to win that battle. Because you can't do anything on God's green earth if I've got that rock in my hand. You can't do it. Whatever you think you're going to do, it's not going to be done. You know why? Because you got a stick, and you got to stay there. They, they drew a box, and they said, you have to stay in this box, fellas. <laughs> and they said, you know what? I'm going to put you up there on that hill. I'm going to stand taller than you. I'm going to be bigger than you. And guess what? Back in the caveman days, he got to throw the rock at that guy. <laughs> Who's going to win that? Where's the, you know, who, who wants to, what kind of excitement do you get from a battle like that? You know? And so I think that's one of the great things that, that excites me about pitching is it, it, you look at it and it's just one-on-one confrontation. Yeah, you've got defense out there and yeah, you've got a guy squatting down gear on it, that his responsibility is to catch it. But at the end of the day, right, look at, look at football. And you can say, well, there's one-on-one battles in, on the offensive and defensive line. Not anymore. No, there's not. There's zone blocking and you chip this guy and you push him over there and another guy takes him and, you know, there's very rarely one-on-one coverage anymore because, you know, they might have a bracket over the top of the, the wideout and, you know, you really have help and all this and that. But at the end of the day in our sport, man, when that, when that dude steps in that box, the feeling that you should have on the mound, just the pure excitement is, you know what, everything that's getting ready to happen revolves around what I decide to do with this little round thing in my hand. And I'm in complete control. And you can't do anything that I don't allow you to do. Uh, so I think that's the, that's the excitement of pitching. That's the, the, the fun of it. And I think when uh, competitors look at it that way, they get fired up and they're like, oh, man, give me the ball. Give me the ball. And so uh, that's one of the things we work to instill in our guys. And, and it might sound silly, but we, we talk about the caveman analogy all the time, you know, and, and we tease our hitters about it. We're like, you guys are honestly, let's, let's be honest here. Hitters are the ignorant ones in this confrontation because who in their right mind wants to be told you have to stand in the box and swing a stick at something that's moving, right? I mean. Sounds crazy. Uh, yeah, so it's just, it's just a way we take the mentality because usually, obviously, hitters are, are the other way around. They're like, you know, pitchers are, the, pitchers are the goofy ones. They're the ones we make fun of and all that sort of stuff. So it's just a way for us to flip the mentality and all that good stuff. But it, it's funny, though, because we'll, uh, you know, our guys, once, once they understand the caveman analogy, uh, it, it's fun to listen to them talk to the hitters, and, you know, when we're scrimmaging and stuff. And, and uh, it definitely changes the types of conversations they have, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm not even a pitcher. You got me fired up. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Drills, I think when I was a younger coach, uh, I, was, I was a part-to-hole guy. You know, teach this, teach that, make sure we do these, like, 15 different things correctly to get the end result here. Uh, and the older I've got, and hopefully the wiser I've gotten, um, I don't know if I've gotten wiser. My wife says I've just gotten grayer. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I hopefully have gotten wiser, I don't do it that way as much. What, what I like to do now with pitchers is we incorporate movements into our throwing, and so we'll have our, our daily throwing progression that we do. And so as an example, the first 30 throws each day for our guys are scripted. They know they're going to throw uh, a particular uh, ball, a particular weighted ball from a particular distance in a particular fashion. And so uh, they have this, obviously they've learned it. So the first 30 throws are scripted and and there's three different throwing movements that we'll use in there uh, on a, on a daily basis. And then we'll, we'll change those up. But 
I'll give you I'll give you an example here. Um, so yesterday on on a Sunday or excuse me Saturday. So the last day of a series, we'll usually uh, you know kids are tired, not not necessarily tired, but you know everybody knows that last game on the weekend. Sometimes there's a lack of intensity, right? I mean everybody's kind of tired, worn out that whole thing. And so what we do is we, we try to get our guys and our pitchers in motion more. So uh, their throwing protocol for that day would be uh, the first 10 throws they make are going to be uh, the good old fashioned rocker drill, you know, where they just set up, you know, rock forward, rock back, and then come up. And what we, what we do with it is when they rock back, we want them to get into that backside. Uh, we, we try to get them to understand, to, you know, to push into the ground through their heel, if you will, uh, we just call it a, a way more, which is something, uh, terminology I heard from Lance Wheeler uh, one time that I really liked. Uh, and so we'll do 10 of those, and then they go back to a different distance, and then we'll do 10 jump backs. And so they'll start, and they'll just jump back onto their drive leg and redirect that momentum and make a throw. Uh, so they've got 10 of those, and then we'll do 10 walk-in throws. Uh, and then from there, you know, if they're long tossing or whatever they're doing, we'll do some step behinds. But the goal on that particular day is just to have some different movements for them to do that can correlate into what you want them to do on their delivery. And then incorporate it into those throws, get them moving around, because the more they move, the more they talk. And the more they talk and interact, the more uh, energy they have for each other. Uh, we tell our guys all the time, it's not about having energy for yourself. It's about having energy for others. Because when you are a husband and father, it's not going to be about what energy you have for yourself. It's what energy can you bring to the table to your wife? What energy can you bring to the table for your kids? And so uh, when we stand around and we don't do much, we don't say much. And if we don't say much, we're not providing energy for other people. And so uh, we'll just have a set of movements, movement patterns we want to create within their delivery on those throws. And then when we go to the bullpen, uh, you know, particular drill work there, I think, is, is very individualized. It just depends on what kind of a guy each each uh, young man is. Uh, we have, you know, a couple of core beliefs. But usually what we're going to do is let them be themselves. And if what, what it is that they do naturally works and they get people out, then I tell them all the time, uh, I'm going to stay out of your way. I won't say much to you because if your style works, then that's what we want because we don't want 15 guys that are all the same because then it gets hard to get people out. We'd like ideally like to have 15 guys with 15 different ways of doing, uh, getting people out. And so, you know, but a couple of the fundamentals we'll have is just foot placement on, on the rubber uh, as far as understanding a, a neutral, a negative or a positive foot placement on the rubber. Uh, and then, from there, we just kind of let them do their thing. And if they're throwing strikes, uh, what I've learned over the years is I'm not going to overcoach on mechanics anymore. Uh, one of the things I've become a big believer in and a big fan of is anything that we need to, any change we need to make, you know, maybe with a particular pitch or something like that, we'll just start putting a different weighted ball in their hand. And, boy, you talk about watching an athlete adapt quickly. Uh, you change the weight of an implement, whether it's in the weight room, whether it's at the plate, whether it's on the field throwing. But you, you give an athlete something that weighs a different amount than what they're used to performing with, and you will see some movement patterns clean, it, clean themselves up in a heartbeat. And then you don't have to sit there 
at least in my belief system, then you don't have to sit there and give them so many verbal cues that they have a hard time distinguishing between the, the 10 different things they need to do. You can just say, here, take this. Now, you see that short, stumpy guy squatted down over there? Throw this thing at him as hard as you can. And boy, I'm telling you, the thing I've learned over the last few years is that takes a lot of pressure and thought process out of it for the kids. And then it's just about creating intent and feel. And when they get that, boy, what it feeds into that whole being aggressive thing, because now they don't have to think about, okay, am I in position A followed by position B followed by position C to try to create this outcome? They can just go, oh, hey, there's that crazy caveman with a stick again. Okay, guess what, fella? I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw this thing at you now. And, and then you free them up to be aggressive and you free them up to be competitive. Uh, and so uh, I think that's been a big change for me. And I think I, listening to some of your other podcasts and, and other coaches, as we grow, as we get a little older and grayer, I think most of us kind of go, yeah, we, we maybe overcoached it when we were younger because we, you know, it's the way we were coached. We didn't know any better. And so uh, I think the more you do it, the more you realize the, the best thing you can do for your athletes is give them the freedom to be athletes within the framework of your belief system. And boy, when you can do that, then you've got some competitive young men that'll get after it for you. That's some good stuff. So kind of broadening that perspective a little bit to your entire team. Can you run us through a day of practice at Tarleton state and what do you try to implement daily? Yeah. So one of the things we've done this year that's, that's different is um, offensively, we went to the axe bat with the axe handle and uh, we started putting a lot of stuff out on social media and we've, we've gotten a lot of questions on this and, and the training we're doing because we're doing um, the over, overload, underload uh, training with that from the guys at driveline. And, and I tell you what, they've been tremendous. They're, they're a great resource and boy, are they open to, to your questions and, and helping you get better. Uh, I think the, the culture that Kyle has created up there is, is really neat. And their, their openness to helping people is, is, is really something special. You don't see a lot of that in our profession at times. Um, but so we went to that offensively this beginning this fall. And so it changed the way we do practice. Uh, it changed the way we do a few things. And so offensively what we're doing is we have our guys in groups now. And each day they have a particular overload, underload um, swing protocol that they'll go through. Uh, we don't teach a lot of mechanics. Uh, we don't use a whole lot of verbal cues. Uh, it goes right back to that thing I was talking about with the pitchers earlier. If you give the athlete a different weighted implement and ask him to perform his competitive task, his body is going to organize itself into the most efficient movement patterns that he can create for where he's at in his development. And by that, I mean we can have a, a young freshman that's undersized at 135 pounds and we can have a senior that is a grown man at 220 pounds, and we can get them both to swing with the intent to do damage and the, the intent to, to hurt the baseball. And that concept is not overcued. It's simply here. Here's this bat. Okay, now I want you to swing it as hard as you can and hit that thing that's moving. And uh, boom, you're done with that. Okay, here's a different weighted bat. Now do that again. Now here's a different weighted bat. Do it again. Uh, and so the results we've seen from that have been tremendous. Uh, but what we do now that we that is new to us is we'll bring them out in groups and they'll hit in their groups before 
team practice. Uh, they'll spend 45 minutes per group in the cage uh, getting their, their work in or whatever we're working in that day. Uh, and we rotate them through. And then, and then we'll start practice. Uh, and I think the kids like this, too, because like group one, you may hit three hours before practice. And then you come in, you get your hitting, and then you've got a break before team practice. And then group two, you get to report a little bit later. So you've got a, a little bit more, you know, in this day and age, probably playing Fortnite. Um, <laughs> you know, before you come to practice. Uh, and so we'll do that with the hitters. And then when we meet for team, our position players have already got X amount of cuts in before we start team practice. You know, it might be 150 cuts in a, a piece. Uh, and team practice will start. We meet every day. And, you know, we do the normal thing that most college coaches do is we'll address anything that needs to be addressed within the framework of the program. Uh, we'll have kids give presentations on different things. Uh, we try to keep it, you know, just so something different each week. Uh, last week, what we did, we took five minutes before we, we broke out and went our separate ways in, in practice, and we just listened to little snippets from uh, the Jocko podcast, uh, different aspects and different things there. And then once that little three to four minute snippet was over, uh, they know the schedule because it's posted for them. They know when that snippet's over, boom, you break out and you, and you get to your individual position. Uh, so the outfielders, boom, that's over. They jog out to the outfield. Infielders uh, go meet me behind third base. Catchers go with Coach Buck over to the bullpen area to do their work. And so uh, it's meet individual defense for 30 to 45 minutes. And, and what we normally try to do in those chunks is we, we like to take three teaching points for each 30-minute session, if you will. Uh, and so what we do there is you scale that back, and that's 10 minutes a session uh, or 10 minutes of subject matter, if you will. And uh, what we try to do there is once we're, we've had them for a little bit, we try to do as minimal talking as possible and just set up the, the, the drills in the environment for them to come in and get their work uh, to get a rhythm and pace going so that uh, what we're after is as many quality reps that we can get in that 10-minute session. And then we go to the next topic, right? And so as an example in the outfield, they might the first 10 minutes might be their daily work where they're working on uh, footwork fundamental on different types of ground balls, fly balls, uh, and, and those sort of things. So we just call those dailies. So they might spend the first 10 minutes on dailies, and then from their, their dailies, they might go into uh, routes for the day. And so, uh, you know, it might be a situation where it's just different cones at different spots and, and working on opening the hips and, and, and redirecting and things like that. And, and, you know, Coach Hunt with the outfielders, he gets to play quarterback, if you will. Uh, so they'll do that for 10 minutes, and then, boom, it's 10 minutes into – it might be, you know, just fly ball, wall communication, or – something along those lines. But our kids know that when we do individual defense, there's going to be three teaching points uh, for that 30 minutes. Uh, and the goal, like we tell them all the time, if, if you're, as a player, if you're really good at what you do, uh, we probably won't talk a whole lot as coaches. If we have to stop and talk, then we haven't taught it well enough, so we need to, to teach it a little bit more. Uh, so we'll do that 30-minute chunk of individual defense, and then, boom, it's straight into – uh, team defense. And we have a stopwatch the whole time going. Uh, and so we know where we're at. We keep up with it. And 
the goal is for us to not overcoach and not to talk a whole lot and not to bore them with over teaching things. It's to have a few handful of fundamentals in each area that we stick to. And then again, go out and be an athlete within, within that framework. Uh, team defense, obviously, like most everybody, uh, you know, we'll go over the things you need to go over, but we like to, we like to stick to that uh, three brick concept, if you will, each, each brick or three teaching points, you know, uh, each brick is a, is a piece of that foundation. So team defense for us will be 30 minutes, uh, one, one uh, teaching point for 10 minutes. Uh, and I think our kids enjoy that because uh, I, I think they know going into it that it's going to move. There's going to be some pace to it. Uh, they're going to be able to get reps in. They're going to be able to get their, their work in. Uh, but it's not going to sit there and be the same thing every day. Uh, and then from team defense, uh, we'll go into then on the field BP. And so the position players will uh, do their BP uh, and get more swings in, if you will. Uh, and we do, like most everybody else, BP for us is live infielders or live ground balls. Uh, we have a pitcher with each infield group, and he has a stopwatch. And so every live ground ball they get, the goal is to execute the out within four seconds or less. Uh, it's one of our beliefs that if we can record and get in the habit of recording outs in four seconds or less on as many types of ground balls as we can, uh, then when we play people who can really run, they won't be able to speed the game up on us because getting an out in four seconds is pretty quick. And outfielders, everything's live. Uh, you won't see pitchers in the outfield at our practices. You'll see them on the warning track. If they're not in the bullpen working, if they're not doing drill work or doing their bullpen work, you know, but when they are out there, uh, they are completely out of the way. Uh, we want our outfielders. We tell them all the time, go get everything you can get and then go get what you can't get. Because the only way you know what you can't get to is, is to try. And, um, so you'll see our guys laying out, diving, getting after it, uh, and you'll see guys cheering them on even when they don't get it because they, the, their teammates appreciate the effort that they're, you know, your left fielder's going down into the left field corner diving at a ball or, or busting his rear end to get to something that as a pitcher you want him to be able to make the play on in the game. Well, well let's train that. and let, The best way to do it is during BP. And so uh, that would be kind of a normal day. Now, what we do day-to-day uh, -day is we have maybe a, a skeleton, if you will. We have an outline. Uh, so a Tuesday practice will have a particular arrangement. A Wednesday practice will have a different arrangement. And a Thursday practice will have a third arrangement. So our kids know that on Tuesday, practice is going to look like this. Wednesday, it will look like this. And Thursday, it will look like this. And within those, those skeletons, we have what we're going to do uh, but it's a different concept, if you will, each day. And so uh, I think it's a way to, to keep the kids engaged. Uh, something that we talk about in our program is, you know, engaged work. Anything that, that we do in life that we're engaged in, we get after. You guys are engaged into your podcast. You're doing a great job with it. You're growing it. And you're growing it because you're engaged into what it is you want it to become. It's the same thing for us, right? We want to be engaged in the practice. And if practice is the same every day, how engaged are you going to be as a player? You're not, right? You, they're mm -hmm. the kids, they get, they, they get bored easily. Uh, they have so many things that are available to them to get their attention. As coaches, we feel like we need to set up our practices the same way. We need to have as many things that get their attention to help them become better baseball players and not stay on any of it too long 
because they don't want to stay on any of it too long. So our challenge as coaches is to simply try to have something different for them each day that challenges them in a different way. Uh, and that's one of our goals. When we sit down and meet as coaches in the morning, uh, we kind of look at it. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, but we look at it and go, okay, how can we challenge them today that's different than yesterday? And uh, so I think if you were to, to talk to one of our, our position players, I think that's one of the things they enjoy about being in our program is they know things will be different day to day, and they know that there's going to be some competition in everything we do. They know that there's going to be some fun involved in it. And they, they like the fact they show up every day and it's posted for them. So they know exactly where to go when they get here. They, they look at it. They go, uh, this is what we have at 3 o'clock. This is what we have at 3.30. This is what we have at 4 o'clock. And one of the things that we do within our program is we, because we post everything, we tell them all the time, you should never, ever ask a coach, what are we doing at practice today? Because that means you're not taking ownership of your career, right? Mm-hmm. And what we mean by that is if, if it's posted for you and I give you a list, uh, this is what you're going to do at what time. As a player, you should take ownership of it, learn it, know it, so that when you hit the field, there's no, okay, what's next? What are we doing next? Mm-hmm. Um, we're big believers in guys never, ever asking the coaches, uh, hey, what are we doing in practice? Or what's, what, well, we just finished this drill. What's next, coach? Uh, our, guy, our older guys will tell you, uh, and we, we say it, laughingly but they know don't don't ask what's next at practice at practice within our program because that just means you haven't taken ownership of being prepared for practice it means you didn't look at that schedule and you didn't go okay at 330 I have an opportunity to get better at my Z cut on ground balls at 345 I've got the opportunity to get better at my short hops we expect our guys to have it memorized before practice starts and they do it and they get after it and but that, that's just a belief system of ours is, is post it, know it, and then go out and execute it. Love it. Brian, you got me, you got me fired up. You started talking about all this variable training, especially with the driveline stuff. I love it. Um, Cause I think, I think one thing uh, previously, previously, I think a lot of with the, where baseball was going was everybody was trying to describe as a coach, you know, the verbal cueing and we're trying to describe what somebody should feel or what they're trying to feel. But I think like, you know, one thing that you kind of touched on is the variable training when it comes to, you know, out here in Utah at, at, at Brighton high school, what we have is we have the drive lines, you know, the throwing program, but even with on both sides, the throwing, the throwing side of it, and also the hitting variable side of it is when you change those variables, I think there's a lot of benefit of actually getting people to feel things like you described rather than us trying to verbal cue someone into feeling something. Would you agree with that? Or do you think you'd look at it a different way? Or what do you think, what do you think through that? I agree with you 100%. I think uh, it's much better for the athlete if we can just change, um, like you said, the variables for them and then stay out of the way. I tell my guys all the time, uh, on the pitching end or the hitting end, whatever it is, uh, you, you guys don't understand this. You don't need me as a coach. You really don't. And I think that should be our goal as coaches is to create players that don't need us. Um, you know, and, and I, I've told my guys this at times, you guys don't understand. I need you far more than you need me. You can figure out how to win. You've won baseball games without ever being in, in this particular program before. So you don't need me to teach you how to win. 
I need you because you keep me young, you, get me, you allow me to be a baseball coach, and you allow me to be on a, on a field. I mean, a green field is way better than digging a ditch or being stuck in the office. And so I think our job is to simply provide them the different variables to figure out how to improve their game. So I agree with you 100% there. I think we just change the variables, stay out of the way, and then when they have questions, they'll ask us. I don't think we need to beat them over the head with 100 different cues because then we just create confusion and we create robotic athletes. You know, if you came out and you watched this particular year's team for us, uh, you'd see a lot of kids with a lot of freedom. They have their core fundamentals they're going to stick to, but you see a lot of smiling, you see a lot of trash talking, and you see a lot of athletes that understand the freedom they have. And our goal, and they, they, they get this, is, hey, if, if we need to make a tweak, like I talked to some of our senior hitters yesterday as an example, and this leads into your point, but I told them, uh, with what we have coming up on this, this upcoming weekend's schedule, uh, be prepared that we're going to challenge you and we're going to change your environment. And, you're, and I actually told them this yesterday. We're going to change your environment, environment and your variables this week. And the senior hitters, they, their eyes lit up and they're like, all right, let's do it. Let's get after this. You know, when, how, when do we get back home now? Let's, let's go get after this challenge. Because our guys understand we're not going to sit there and say a whole lot during practice. We're just going to, to change the environment they're in and change the variables and let them figure it out. Now, if they struggle with it and they have a hard time with it and they're not adapting at the pace that they want to adapt, then they know they have to ask questions and we'll give them the feedback. But one of the things we're working to do is to, in, in a lot of areas, is not offer feedback until they ask for it. And, and the reason for that, I think, is something I've just, you know, learned as being a parent and getting older, too, is when you're raising your kids, your kids don't want to, you know, they don't want you to tell them, once they get to a certain age, they don't want to be told all the time how they need to do things. They want to find out for themselves and figure it out. And they want to know that it's okay to fail. And if I fail and can't figure out why I failed, then I want to come back to you as my parent. And then at that point, I want to listen to what you have to say. But if I don't come to you and ask for your opinion, then I'm still trying to figure out on my own how I can be successful. And I think um, I think that's the same way with baseball players is we just we need to give them some space, and when they come ask you questions, then they're ready to learn. They may not and probably aren't ready to learn if we're just every day boom 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 on top of do this do this do this do this do this, but if we change the environment and the variables and stay out of the way, then when you do get questions, you get so, you, your results are so much better because they're in a place in their life where they're ready to hear what it is you have to say and they're ready to process the change they may need to make. I think that's a great point, especially with, especially with you, you diving into that. I mean, just like not only life, you know, they're not going to always have someone there to give them instant feedback all the time or, you know, especially through life, you know, all of us, we, we might generally have a plan, but at the same time too, you know, like you're saying is that, that I think that failure side of it and trying to figure it out for yourself is something that you obviously, have, you know, created within your culture of guys learning through things and learning through failure. And then also instead of having, you know, warriors out there that are always been protected 
from failure, not when they actually fail, not only in life, but also, you know, through the season, I think you develop there a culture of guys that know how to learn through failure and, um, you know, create successful men, you know, not only now, but later on in life. And I think that was a really good point that you made. Yeah. And I, I think that that's our big goal as coaches is, you know, again, 99% of the kids we get aren't going to make a living playing this game. So what kind of impact can we have on, on helping them, you know, be absolutely tremendous fathers? Because, you know, at least from my belief system, boy, do we need more good fathers in our country. We need more more men that are willing to, to you know, be a man, own up, buck up, be a father, and set that great example for their children. And, you know, they need to know. And, and my guys, my guys, boy, to do my seniors know this and boy do i love the fact that they can respect this end of it my, my guys know i tell them all the time you know i i have the title of head coach but that doesn't i'm not perfect fellas i don't expect you to be perfect all i expect you to do is give everything you've got and make that a habit because if you do that then you're going to give your wife everything you've got and then you're going to give your kids everything you've got and as a man that's what our job is and so i think that's what we try to get them to understand. It doesn't mean you're not going to fail. Our our leadoff hitter, who's not a traditional leadoff hitter, is actually probably more of a three or four hole hitter in, on most teams. But we hit him in the leadoff spot for particular reasons. You know, he had a rough Friday night. Didn't see the ball well. It's the first time I've seen him as a senior have a night where, uh, as I was joking with him on the the ride home last night, you know, Friday night looked like you'd never ever picked up a bat before like you came down out of the stands and somebody put you in the box and he started laughing he goes coach I was so lost and I, I go I know and it's part of it man it was going to happen and he goes you knew I was lost I go oh, yeah it was blatantly obvious and he goes well why didn't you say something I said well Blake you came over and you asked me three separate times during that game what I saw and he just looked at me I go that's how lost you are you don't remember asking me what I saw. I said, you were just, you had a bad night. And I said, but I said, what, what did I say to you? Uh, you know, when we got back home and he goes, you just looked at me and smiled and said, well, tomorrow's another opportunity to go be great. And I said, yeah, that's it. And, and what did you do in your first at bat? I hit a home run. Well, there you go. If you had felt sorry for yourself, if you had worried about the fact that you failed, you wouldn't have bounced back like that, right? And if, if you do that in life, if you do that away from baseball when you fail or, you know, your boss gets onto you at work and then you just dig down into this hole and you bury yourself and you never come out of it, you know, then like we, we talk about all the time is you're not going to be there for your family. You, you know, you've got to learn these traits now. These are the things we want you to learn is, is look at baseball for what it provides. And it provides you an opportunity to look at life and how it is you're going to handle things when you're no longer playing the game. And, you know, he bounced back like he always does because he, he's competitive and he had a great weekend. Uh, but he said it last night on, when we were coming back home. He was like, you know, Coach, I wouldn't if, – if I didn't have this perspective, he goes – my freshman year in college, he goes, Friday night would have dictated my entire weekend and it would have dictated a couple of weeks of performance. And he goes, and, and you know, it's, we're, on, we're driving back and it's 1130 at night. And he's just like, I, wanna, I just want to tell you thank you for the things I've learned. He goes, because you, it, it helped me take a bad night and keep it at a bad night. And then I could still be there for my teammates. And he goes, 
I understand now. He goes, I can have a bad, he goes, what you're trying to get from us is to understand I can have a bad day at work, but I better not go home and have a bad day with my family afterwards. And he goes, that's what I learned. And he goes, it hit me. He goes, it hit me in the middle of the game today. He goes, I had a bad day at work on Friday, but my responsibility is to still be there for my teammates. And he goes, I just want to say thank you because that, that is going to stay with me the rest of my life. And, you know, that's one of those, as a coach, it's 1130 at night on the road, you're, <laughs> like, you're trying not to cheer up and you go, man, I couldn't be more proud of you right now because, you, you know, you're so happy for what he's going to become now. Because whatever it is he goes into, he's going to dominate. He's going to be awesome at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I love it. So, you know, going into that, uh, it seemed, I feel like you, uh, especially talking about a lot of these variables and, and you definitely being a pinching guy. I'm sure you have a, a philosophy, and I know this is really going to be dynamic and more of a loaded question and a loaded conversation. What's your what's your perspective on arm care? And you know, I know that's very broad, and you can go different ways. But what are what are some things that you guys do for arm care to stay healthy throughout the entire season? Uh, so we do a lot, and that's one of the areas I get a lot of questions on. Uh, but that's that's something that has always intrigued me and has always been something I take pride in. And that's one of the things that, that we tell the kids in the recruiting process is, you know, I can't promise you by any means that you're going to go on and play pro ball. I can't make you a lot of promises. I just can't. But what I can promise you is that we're going to do everything we can when you're here to take care of your arm at the highest level that we have the ability to do for you. And that's, that's the one promise I'll make. And so what we do well, it starts, it starts in the fall. The first thing they do when they get here is they get an assessment, you know, functional movement screening, and then uh, our athletic trainer will, will take them through uh, different testing on their, on their scapular. Uh, he likes to refer to it as the scapular glide, um, internal external rotation. He'll do, run all kinds of tests on them. We'll get a baseline of measurements. And then uh, if there are any red flags, then we'll uh, sit down. We'll create what we call corrective protocols. And there will be certain things. If there are red flags and they need certain correctives, there are things within our program they won't do until they reach a certain level uh, and basically get cleared, if you will. Then once they do that, I think the guys that or the people that follow us on social media and stuff, they know that, that we believe in weighted balls. I've, been to, I've had this conversation with Kyle at Driveline. I've been doing a form of weighted ball training for 20 years, and it started back with the original uh, four, five, six-ounce studies that they did, right? And so we've, we've always done that. I've done that my entire coaching career. I did it when I was at little old junior college in Colorado and Kansas. We did it at the University of Utah. And so uh, we, we just believe in that. We believe in what it can do now. You've got to be smart. It's like anything, obviously, you've got to be smart. And it's not just running around crazy, throwing a four-pound ball as hard as you can into, you know, whatever. But we definitely believe in that. And so the other stuff that we'll do for arm care, uh, one of the things we're using this year is the modus throw sleeve that uh, a lot of people have, have called me on. And what that does, and I'm a big believer in this, I tell you what, uh, I really believe this should become standard operating procedure for everybody that pitches uh, because it allows you to monitor uh, so many different things, but it allows you to monitor uh, 
what's called the AC ratio. So, mm-hmm. and what that is, is it's a chronic workload and your acute workload. So your chronic workload is a, is a 28 day workload. Your acute is a seven day workload. Uh, and the goal is to build up enough uh, base and volume to keep the arms safe. Uh, and then it, because everybody throws differently and has slightly different movement patterns, it allows us to measure their stress level. And so what, what it gives you the ability to do now is uh, I've got 15 guys, 15 guys with 15 different arm actions, if you will, 15 different stress levels. Uh, it really allows you to monitor them and where they're at uh, to keep them safe and to keep them healthy. And I think that's one of the big things that, that a lot of people are starting to learn about what we're doing. And, and we're putting a lot out on social media with that. And so I think that's drawn a lot of attention to our program. Uh, but what we're doing is is we're just putting out a lot of stuff there and showing how we do certain things. And it doesn't, I tell people all the time, it doesn't mean that we have all the answers by any means. Uh, we're just taking the information that we're getting from, from the modus sleeve and we're, we're evaluating what it is we do and we're making uh, tweaks and adjustments along the way where we can do things better. Uh, but I think what, what we have found with this is it gives us the ability and we, you know, we're getting uh, people reaching out, recruits reaching out to us now just from seeing these things, but it gives us the ability to track the stress and workload uh, on their elbow. And now it allows us to work to keep the UCL safer. And so we incorporate that along with, you know, the protocols from driveline that we follow along with the, you know, Jager long toss that we do and, and uh, all these different variables that we'll follow. And, you know, one of the comments we get from a lot of our guys is, Coach, my arms never felt this good before. And we're like, yeah, that's, that's our job. You know, my job really is to program the arm and keep you healthy. Your job is to go out and compete. And one of the things we, we tell our guys all the time is, you're an athlete. Your job is to go out and athleticize. You know, my job is to keep you as healthy as possible so that you can go out and get after it with the ability God gave you. And, you know, so I could sit and talk about the, the, the information we're getting from Modus for a half a day. Uh, I probably don't want to bore you guys with it, but... Um, I, I think that that's really something that everybody out there should look into because I'll tell you another thing is very beneficial, very, very beneficial is you can have three pitchers and you look at them as a pitching guy and you're gonna, your eyes are going to tell you one thing and you get this information and you'd be surprised that one of those three guys is operating at a level that if you don't change the way you do things, he might blow out an elbow. Uh, and it gives you that information quickly. And now, man, can you really adjust what it is you do, how you use them, when you use them, uh, so that you can keep them safe. And then you know this, this guy, this particular young man, is a, is a very high stress level. He's creating uh, entirely too many, you know, too many newton meters of stress on his UCL for the way he throws. Well, we need to remap his his arm action a little bit or we need, may need to make a slight adjustment in his lower half mechanics whatever it may be uh, but this gives you the ability to see that this young man is operating at a stress level that is not conducive to staying healthy well in the past without having that information right most pitching guys you just ride that guy until he comes to you and says ah, i don't feel good and you're like okay well let's scale back at that point mm-hmm. uh, with this information, man, you can make the, you can make the adjustments daily. 
which is something that we do. Uh, and I've told people this as, as they've asked questions. Um, what we do that I think might be a tad different for a lot of people is uh, we take this information, we apply it to each guy each day, uh, and if we have 15 pitchers, there's a good chance on certain days of the week that we'll have 15 separate throwing protocols. Uh, now there's some days, you know, it might be four separate protocols or five, depending on where different guys are at in, in, in their week or whatever. But, you know, it, it, it can be as literal as, you know, here's your throwing for the day. Joey, you know, Bo, here's your throwing for the day. Brian, here's your throwing for the day. Uh, and, you know, we've seen some really good results with that this year and just the way they feel and, and our ability to make those minor adjustments that pitching guys need to make all the time. Uh, Brian, a big thing too, I've, I've actually played around with the Moda sleeves quite a bit. There's a guy out here, um, Norton Performance, Ricky Norton. I don't know if you know about him out here in Utah. And he, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So me and Ricky, me and Ricky talk uh, quite often and he has the Moda sleeves and I've actually seen it in use every single throw um, at giving you back the data, you know, real time. And so I, I get my question would be to you is, you know, Ricky Moore uses it obviously in a, in a training uh, facility type way. With being a coach, do you guys do those just like in your bullpens when the guys are playing catch, or is it have you have you done it in game? I mean, what are what are times that you've actually used that sleeve um, in, in in a practice schedule? Because I think that's something that I you know haven't had the opportunity to do, and I think that that you know just interesting information to pull from someone that's actually using it daily. Yeah, so we use it honestly every day with every throw. Well, let me correct that. The only time we don't wear them to record throws is when we do PFPs. Mm. Um, but outside of that, uh, every day that they throw, whatever their throwing protocol is, whatever their uh, bullpen work is, we wear them in game. And so uh, I think that's where what, what I've been posting on my Twitter account, I think that's where a lot of people have gotten interested because at least talking to the guys from Modus, we might be one of the very few in the country that are doing it with every single throw that we make uh and so we've got some really cool data that we get to look at with our guys um you know i think i posted something a while back i think from the time we started back in the fall till now we're close to maybe a hundred thousand throws of data uh, with the entire pitching staff you know and uh there's there's definitely trends in there there's definitely things you can see and that you can learn but i i really do yeah i think you know, what like maybe Ricky is looking at and using it and what you use it for. Uh, I just, I think the more you can have the kids in it, the more you can learn about them. And then the more individualized you can make their throwing. And I think that's one of the huge, huge benefits is you get away from the cookie cutter. Okay. You know, we've got our starters and our bullpen guys and bullpen guys here's what we're doing on monday and every bullpen guy is doing the same exact throwing on monday to me that's no longer acceptable uh, because we have the data and we have the information now to go okay these three bullpen guys actually need this volume uh these two guys over here their ac ratios are elevated so we need to pull back a little bit today and get those uh, more manageable uh these three guys over here we need to increase their chronic workload uh, so that they're more prepared to handle a higher volume of relief work on the weekend, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think uh, the more that you can put it on the young man, uh, the more that you have the ability to create something that has never existed before 
which is an honest-to-goodness, actual, individualized throwing program for that particular young man. And it's only good for that particular young man. And it's the only one in the world that is as good as it can get for that young man for that day. And that, to me, is something that is really, really unique and I think is going to change the way we take care of pitchers because it's at a point now where we have the ability to know these things and there's no reason for us not to get this information and get our young men involved in this and doing this so that we keep more of them safe and we keep more of them uh, in a place where they can go out and play the game they love and, and you know go have all the experiences they want to have and not jeopardize putting them in a position to either lose a career or have a career sidetracked because we did what we thought was right, but then when we look at the metrics and the numbers with this stuff, we realized maybe we shouldn't have done this with this particular young man. Brian, uh, how many – you said that's so much data. Do you, how many sleeves do you guys own as a team, and how many guys you know, are wearing it uh, daily? Uh, we have one for each pitcher in our program. Uh, we, we have an agreement with Modus. We're part of a study, uh, we're, so we're very fortunate that they're allowing us to do this. So uh, each young man in our program uh, has one and has a sensor. What we're doing is obviously we're collecting our data for, for our guys, but Modus is always is also uh, they have access to that data as well because they're running some studies and they want to see. And so the more throws that they can collect, the more studies they're going to do and, and adjust things and you know hopefully make things even better for us and for everybody. Uh, but yeah, that's and that's one of the things uh, you know in our series this weekend that it's been inter- interesting to see is. Each weekend we're playing now, I'm having pitchers from other teams coming up and asking me about it and follow on Twitter and asking me questions about this. And uh, it's really neat to see, to see the young men that are wanting to take ownership of, of their arm. And, and they have the ability now through this particular product uh, to monitor it. And uh, you know, our, when our game, our series was over last night, I had a conversation with a couple of young men and, uh, they were just asking me questions because they, they follow what, what it is that we post, and they're intrigued by it. And, and uh, one young man had just gotten one, and another young man was thinking about getting one. And uh, they were just, you know, questions that kids would have. And uh, I think that's really neat. I think it's neat that there's something out there that can bring us all together because we're all after the same goal. You know, the goal is to, to keep these guys as safe as possible so that they can compete. And I think the more that we can share this information and the more we can get it out there and, and uh, help people with it, the better off our game becomes. And uh, each guy has a sleeve, each guy has a sensor, and our guys are getting pretty proficient at, at uh, understanding some things that they couldn't even pronounce a few months ago. <laughs> Coach, switching gears here a little bit, and one thing I wanted to get in um, here towards the end is um, your mental philosophy to the game. The people I talked to said it's a pretty big part of your culture and you try to implement that. How important do you think the mental side is to individual and as well as team success? Oh, I think that's, that's vitally, vitally important. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but did both of you guys play for Coach Dinkle? Is that correct? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, I know he, he's uh, got his belief system in it. And, and I think, uh, you guys wouldn't have had the success that you had in your program 
if you didn't have a particular way you went about it and how you handled the mental end of, of the adversity of this game. Because really, I think when we talk about the mental end of the game, what we're really talking about is the ability to handle adversity uh, within the game. Because you guys know this having played. Man, this game will take your soul, right? I mean, there's, there's times in this game that you just look at the game and you go, why do I even do this? Why do I – what is my love for this thing? You know, why am I obsessed with this particular thing? And it, it all stems from our ability to process and handle adversity. And so I think within our particular program, uh, we work on it a lot. Uh, we, we do some stuff with uh, some Brian Kane. Uh, we do some stuff with some Ken Revisa. Uh, and then one of the things we do in the fall that I think might be a little bit different is, you know, for NCA rules, uh, you know, with our practice limitations and days and hours and all that, when we're in a team setting, uh, we take one day off a week from team practice. So, you know, the practice out on the field, we'll open the field. Uh, but as coaches, 99% of the time, we're not there on that particular day. And we have classroom in the evening. So we'll get in our, you know, hour, hour and a half of work uh, by NCA practice rules in the classroom and, and what we're basically working on is life skills slash mental part of the game. So, you know, for us, we, we work on uh, just different things to help guys have a routine, if you will, to help guys have something to go to is, you know, when Ken Revisa says it, when the stuff hits the fan, what are you going to do? And, you know, when you guys were playing until you had been exposed to it and every player has been exposed to it, you know, every, every kid is, you know, he's heard, hey, you need, to, you need to handle this better or this is going to be tough. Or, you know, when you go 0 for 4, uh, you got to be able to, to let it go, to flush it and move forward. But until you're taught how to do that, right, how do you do it? I mean, until you, you guys were – until you were taught how to hit a fast uh, – an elevated fastball away and drive it to the right center field gap, you didn't know how to do it until you were taught how to do it, right? Uh, or until you learn how to do it. And I think it's the same thing with the, the mental end of it is, you know, every baseball player wants to play at their, their highest level, and we've all been through that place where the game beats you up, and it's like, okay, how do I handle this? What do I do? Um, and so our goal is just, just simply give guys the tools to put in their toolbox so that they can have the things to go to uh, when things aren't going well. Uh, and so I think – for our particular program, uh, you know, it's worked well. Uh, I think the longer that guys are in the program, the more they actually enjoy those uh, little classroom sessions. At least the feedback I get from a lot of the kids that have moved on, where like, Coach, you know, they'll reach out three, four, five years later, and you get a lot of feedback of, thank you so much for classroom. I maybe didn't understand the value my first year in the program. And by my senior year, I loved going to classroom. And now that I'm out in the real world, I absolutely get why we do it. It's helping me in my job. It's helping me be more successful in my job because you're right. These skills we learned here, not everybody is taught. And so now when I'm competing for, uh, you know, the advancement in my particular company, I have a leg up because I have these skills that some other people don't have. And, you know, I think as a coach, big picture, you look at it, and that's, what's, that's the stuff you love because now – they were able to take something from your program, apply it to their life outside of baseball, and they have the ability to create a better life for themselves, right? 
you guys learned that from the, the program you were in, and you're taking what you learned there, you're applying it into the podcast, and man, is it going to be fun to watch what you guys grow this into. But those are things that you learned from where you, the program you came from, and you took those concepts and you're applying it in real life now, in the real world, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's the same thing for us. We're just trying to create something so that when our guys are out of our program, uh, it benefits them in their regular life. Obviously, we hope that it benefits them in their baseball career while they're here. Uh, but then, boom, in real life, and now, like we tell them all the time, there's so many opportunities out in the world. There's so many things you're going to be able to accomplish, uh, but you gotta you got to have tools to take advantage of those opportunities, and that's, our, that's what our goal is. Um, so I think on the mental end of it, I – it, from my perspective, I think that's a big part of it, uh, part of what we, we believe in as a coaching staff, what we believe is part of our mission is to expose our young men to, the, to that, uh, to get them involved in it, to help them change their perspective in certain areas, you know, because once you change your perspective to, to the positive end and you start to look at the good in things and you, you hunt to find those types of opportunities, and we tell our guys all the time, the grass is a little greener, the sky is a little bit bluer. Uh, life's a little bit better, and that's what the goal is. Well, I'll tell you what, those skills and traits that, that we developed through Coach Dinkle and the other coaches along the way, that, that's something that stuck with me more than almost a lot of those other experiences throughout the game of baseball. Um, so I think you hit it right on the head. So, Coach, as yeah. always, if, uh, if any of our listeners want to reach out to you or you're getting in contact with you or anything that we covered today regarding arm care, pitching philosophy, what is the best way uh, for them to do that? Uh, you can always email me. Uh, my email address is conger, C-O-N-G-E-R, at Tarleton. And that's T-A-R-L-E-T-O-N dot E-D-U. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. That's where I get, a, honestly, that's where I get a lot of questions from the folks that follow follow my feed on there. Because uh, if there's any, any arm care questions or what have you or things along with modus we're, we're putting a lot of stuff out there and so we get a lot of questions there uh and it's just uh brian conger 31 uh is is my twitter handle uh and then that's really the only presence i have i have i have an instagram but i don't use it uh, my kids made me get one a few years ago and uh the only thing i use that for honestly is to because I've got two kids that are in college, is just to keep up with them when they post something. Go, oh, okay, there's why you didn't call mom and dad. You were out to dinner with with someone. Okay. (laughs) That's funny. Well, hey, uh, Brian, we we really do appreciate you jumping on with us today. And, you know, you shared a whole bunch of information, dived into, you know, definitely some areas that the the game is moving towards and a lot of things. And also, I mean, a big part of why we wanted to have you on is – we could have someone on that just does arm care, but just knowing how to apply it to practice, I think is a whole nother step altogether. And I think that you diving into that and kind of saying ex- exactly how you're applying some of these new methodologies to practice. And uh, it's just a huge step for coaches. And I think you opened that up. So we really appreciate you jumping on with us today. I appreciate your time. Like I said, I could talk baseball all day. Uh, <laughs> and uh, most baseball guys could. So uh, we really appreciate the job you guys are doing for our game. and. Like I said, I'm excited to see where you guys take this. It's always, it's all, it's, now that I'm getting old, um, 
but it, it, it's always awesome to see young guys in our game with a passion, and you guys obviously have that, and, and to help grow the game, we need more folks like you. And so really, really just want to tell you guys, thank you for everything you're doing for our game because I think it's, it's tremendous. Absolutely. We appreciate that a lot. Appreciate the kind words. What a great episode. We definitely pull a lot from that and put that into our practice plans and, you know, just look at how we're going to move forward here as, as baseball develops. This call takeaway is sponsored by Quality at Bats. Don't forget to visit qualityatbats.com to further your mental approach to the game. So, Joey, Brian's knowledge of pitching in the game as a whole was in full display today. What was your biggest takeaway? I think the biggest thing he really made me think about and, and go in more in depth on is just exactly about the verbal cues. You know, really to be a coach back in the day, you really had a great, crazy communication and maybe know the exact same, the, you know, exact verbal cue to get someone to understand a certain movement or get them to feel something. And I think with the variable training and how baseball is changing going forward, it's really making not only that relationship grow with you and the player, but also too, you know, there's things that we, we've missed a lot of players because we couldn't get them to understand a, completely a certain movement. Maybe they figure it out after they get done playing or they hear somebody else say it and they go, man, that makes so much sense to me now. I wish I knew that when I was playing. And I think that variable training is definitely connecting the dots. So that was the biggest takeaway for me, Bo. What was yours? I really like that too. One thing I loved was how he talked about having that compared to uh, what sign in his office. Um, as coaches, you have certain standards and expectations, and, and he really mentioned that excellence is a daily event. Um, I think it's important to remind yourself each day as a coach, you have the opportunity to influence the lives of others, and it, it really is our duty to provide everything that we have. I thought it was really good information, and I loved how vul vulnerable he was during that time. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that perspective with him and his son, I mean, that's just such great things, you know, compared to what, you know, and, and I, one big word that I didn't get to touch on is he kept saying opportunity. You have the opportunity. You have the opportunity. And I think that just talks about his perspective and the things that you're, you're speaking to. Exactly. Um, guys, social media, you guys have been so amazing. Me and Bo, we do all this work behind the scenes. We do the recording. We do the marketing, all these other things. But again, all that work is nothing without you guys and you guys spreading the word and word of mouth. And um, we just appreciate you guys so much. I mean, we got, we got an email not too long ago, just speaking about how they connected with the, with our, with our episode and the impact it had on them. And it just really touched me and Bo and reminded us of why we do what we do. Um, and we just wanted to thank you guys again for the, the impact that, you know, we continue to make on the game and, you know, the, just, you can see the, the change and also the impact that we're starting to have on, on baseball. And even though it's not as big as, you know, one day we, me and Bo hope it to be, um, we're just so grateful for you guys that have been sharing with people that, that you can find value in what we're doing. And thank you again so much for that. Remember, as always, if you share this with somebody that will appreciate this or grow from this or, you know, needs to hear this message, we really appreciate if you guys share this and, and rate us on iTunes. And thank you so much again for that. And uh, we get, we just, again, we just can't thank you guys enough. Well, until next time, farm system out.